Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Episode 31, powered by Instat Hockey, often the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide in Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes. Once again, we're happy to bring on Jason Bukla in our Scouts Perspective segment. This week's topic is the value of draft-eligible players at the World Championships. And fortunately for all of us, we have two top-end players that are going to be there. Now, we don't know how much ice time they're going to get or what positions they're going to be in, but both Leo Carlson and uh, Adam Fantilli are going to play for their respective countries. Jason, to you, in terms of – because obviously the season is almost over and there's a little bit of like a little bit of hockey left for the draft-eligible players, how much value do you find when you see a player like Leo Carlson or Adam Fantilli at the World Championships – and just being able to compete against that level of player, not necessarily in the, from a skill standpoint, although that's part of it, a lot of the maturity of their game, that standpoint, and the speed and the size and different ice surface and, you know, just coming together with more veteran NHL players. I think on Fantilli's part that that is more of a factor for me in the overall scope, uh, only because – a lot of the European kids obviously have been playing at the pro level in Europe already. And um, it's not the NHL, it's not even the American League, but, uh, you know, the SHL, for example, is a really, it's a hard league. You know, it's one of the harder leagues in Europe. I would argue it's the hardest league in Europe to play. And so um, I'm more interested to see, uh, you know, a guy like Fantilli, how he slots in, if he ends up playing the wing a little bit, which will tell whoever's going to select him, I'm assuming, assuming Anaheim. Um, whoever's going to select him that, um, you know, he can play with men, play the middle, play the wing, and play to some sort of an identity, whatever he's thrust into. He's already proven that at the World Juniors, that he's uh, kind of a Swiss Army knife, and he can do a variety of things. Of course, his element is to score. Uh, Carlson, a big body like that, you want to see if he can uh, continue to be a, uh, a power type of a presence and and take, uh, take on contact to extend plays and, and play with detail. I will say this though guys at this stage of the year it's a bonus to see the kids play at, uh, at a, an event like this um there's not a ton of stock in terms of them falling off in a ranking at this time of year based on whatever happens at this experience they will marginally though potentially rise a little bit more in the respect pool uh based on how they how they perform so um they've earned the right to be there which is a cool story in itself and, uh, it's an yeah, Jason's point, I think um, one of the more interesting things about the situation is that they're basically in a head-to-head for two or three overall. Now, I know that privately and probably in most cases, Fentili goes too, but I'm, I'm sure Anheim's going to be very interested to see how Leo Carlson does at this event relative to Fentili. The other factor is that Leo Carlson's been playing up in the SHL against men the whole season, as Jason mentioned, and Fentili hasn't. 
this is the first time we're really going to see Fantilli go up against pro caliber players that are already in the NHL. And that does matter. It's going to be very interesting uh, to see what adjustments he makes at this event, because as Jason just uh, mentioned, there's a Swiss army knife aspect of Fantilli where he can kind of mold himself relative to the role he needs to play. So um, I don't think this will move the needle one way or the other too, too much, but I will say this, that this event has mattered for previous prospects uh, in some cases, a, a fair amount. Like, for instance, Moritz Sider, I really thought Moritz Sider's draft stock rose significantly because of the World Championships. Uh, another player I thought really performed better than his numbers suggested and kind of stamped what I thought of him was Alexei Kolosov when he was playing for Belarus at this event. So occasionally you do get uh, a prospect that comes through here where they really can move the needle. Um, another would be uh, that we haven't mentioned, Damian Clara. Uh, he's at the World Championships in Division A. Uh, he's already played against Lithuania and another team I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but uh, he, he's performed decent as well. It's, it's useful to get extra data points, uh, essentially, and that's what this uh, tournament is, and it's uh, it's useful. One thing I would say, Shane, is that, um, you know, Carlson's going to likely continue to play the wing at the Worlds, uh, and he's projected to potentially be able to play in the middle of the National Hockey League as well. I'm not so sure about that. Time will tell. Fentilli, as we know, if he does play the middle for Team Canada, that's going to be interesting to watch in itself as well, uh, being thrust into that position, tracking up and down the ice, see what kind of detail he can play with the men. Curious in your thoughts, Jason. Is the World Championships and these two players playing at that event more beneficial to the general managers of those respective clubs in Anaheim and Columbus for for them to have a second look and to see it in a, in a environment and perspective that is more NHL-like comparative to some other environments that you'll see these players in in that respect? Because, I mean, although I know we know Yarmo is a hardcore scout at heart, um, you know, he can't be everywhere all the time, right? Does that help in terms of framing both those players more in their eyes? Well, with both these general managers that we're talking about, Patrick Beek and Yarmo uh, Kekalainen and, and Columbus, I can tell you for a fact that they've been on the tour quite a bit this year and, and they've been they've been monitoring these players. So this is a good news story because it's a delicate process when you don't have your general manager lay eyes on a player until uh, premier events, uh, the World Juniors. And let's say the kid doesn't get his, uh, as much ice time as he normally would have with his club team. Um, that's a dangerous thing. Uh, if you only lay eyes on him one time at the Worlds, and again, he's he's playing out of position or whatever the case may be, that could be a dangerous thing. But these two guys, these two general managers have a deep book on these players already. So I think it's just going to confirm for them some of their um, skill attributes that they can rest on, uh, rest a little bit easier as they get towards the combine and the draft. It's um, it's a good news story for those prospects that those two guys are, are heavy scouters. I got a follow-up question to that. So, do you think that process allows for greater uh, situation inside, you know, the final meetings, scouting meetings, where the general manager can facilitate questions about those two players more effectively because he understands the framing of those players um, in a variety of different situations? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. I think that, you know, let's just say that he only saw the player three or four times a year. He feels like he's got a real good grasp. He goes to the world, sees him another couple of times. Now he's feeling really comfortable. He's doubled down with video. But now he can get more specific uh, towards a scout in the room, his director of scouting, and, of course, defaulting to whoever the area scout is. 
um, who's seen them 12, 15 times and ask for some more specific bullets to, to type information. So it's a, it's a win that way, especially in this scenario. I have been on the other side of the fence where sometimes the general manager hasn't seen enough and that's where it gets really dangerous. And um, that isn't the case right now. Do you feel, uh, Jason, that this is a situation where if, if Carlson's afforded the opportunity to play center in some capacity, it could move the needle back to two if he performs uh, as well, if not better than Ventili? Do you think there will be more discussion then? Well, I mean, the way you just positioned that question, uh, I guess, it, yeah, absolutely. You have to have an open mind, right? You can't go into a closed-minded. So um, if he if he outperforms Fantilli and he moves to the middle to do it, um, absolutely, it's going to open up a little bit uh, more discussion. Um, I have Fantilli two. I have Carlson three. Um, I'm splitting airs on a lot of the value between the two of the players. Um, that's the type of scenario, the one you just presented, that opens up more discussion in the room for sure. It's um, unfortunate we don't get to see more of these top-end players playing in, in this situation. Um, and I'm really sort of pointing it towards Matt, Matt Vade-Mitchkoff in that respect. How much fun would it have been to see the three of them in this situation? And it's uh, it's also unfortunate that we haven't seen Mitchkoff in a bunch of international tournaments as well, which is just a byproduct of the you know geopolitical issues that are currently going on right now. And um, you know, as Jason and you put in put together a mock draft just recently, I can't really argue with you with him slipping down to seven because you know, you know, some people handle risk and risk and or risk averse more different than others. So it could be a situation where he could go four, but he could slide two. Um, and I think the world junior, the world championships could have helped mitigate that if you know Russia was there at that time. And it there's something you take away when Russia's not at a tournament at that at, at that respect as well. So Jason, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And we look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks guys. Have a good week. That's Jason Bukla from Sportsnet. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown on their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. 
Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back in power by Instat Hockey, often the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now speaking with Pat Malloy in our player development segment in building an NHL player. So we were going to talk about this week about William Carrier currently plays for the Vegas Golden Knights. Obviously, he was uh, came out of the queue, drafted by St. Louis, actually, then went to Buffalo. And that's where you really connected with him in, um, when he was in Rochester and went to the American Hockey League. So thoughts on, you know, the development, the work you did with William Carrier in terms of seeing what he had done in the queue, what you saw at rochester and then working with him to say you know trying to figure out what's your identity are you doing it what we what do we need to do to get you to the nhl because i think he's a really perfect story for you know our listeners who don't work for nhl teams about how that journey happens and then sometimes even altering what what you did before to get to where you need to be yeah, I mean, he's a great example of, of a guy that, you know, was one thing in junior, and I think his trajectory moving up to pro was going to be quite different, obviously. And so the early stages was always, you know, trying to recognize what he needed to be in order to be effective at the National Hockey League level. And, you know, my first encounter with him, obviously him coming over from St. Louis, um, was that he had all of the tools to, to play in the National Hockey League, Um but as most young players, he's trying to sort out how do I create offense? What does, you know, what's the role that I'm going to fill? How am I going to find my way there? And, you know, interestingly, I thought, you know, Buffalo was, was pretty patient with him, maybe almost over patient with him because it, it became clear the way that he could be effective, you know, at the NHL level. And what you're seeing now is he's, he's found his niche and found his role. I mean, a lot of what we did was trying to take some raw physical tools of a strong, you know, athletic kid and, and mold it into something that um, had more layers to it than just sort of a forecheck, backcheck type of player. When you look at him, when you first got him, was there more north-south and you wanted to incorporate a little bit of east-west to go with it? Or was it one of those situations where he was more modernized already and, and – uh, used more of a 360-degree plane when it comes to his offensive touch. Because I find with those types of depth power forwards, there's a fine line between one that sticks in the A to one that sticks in an important depth role. Do you mind touching on that, what what the distinction is for you, what really matters there? Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. I mean, there was a lot of linear to his play, if that makes sense. And so, you know, for me, it was – you could see that he, he was great in straight lines and would build up ahead of steam and was a great disruptor in the offensive zone. But, you know, for me, it was starting to see, all right, is there ways that we can sort of slow down that process in his mind 
you know, continue to be a disruptor, but, you know, in, in instances where a, he could obtain puck or become a quick F two to get to puck, you know, was there more to his game in terms of getting off the wall, protecting pucks, extending possession and making, you know, a quality net play um, versus sort of that bang and crash and throw it to spots. And, you know, that hope uh, is a strategy. And I think we know hope is not a strategy. So, you know, it was really um, trying to take a player that was a bit of a bull in a China shop when he first got there and, and iron out some of the process of, the rah, rah, go, 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 because, you know, he has some of those physical strength abilities um, to be able to, you know, create body positioning by a little bit more time, sustain some offensive zone time um, rather than just disrupt and go, if that makes sense. Question in terms of what were your thoughts on his, how raw he was coming out of the queue? Uh, now, each team and organization is a little bit different in the queue, but, you know, there is a theme, which I think is fair to say it's not the most structured league that you play in. And you play against teams that also don't play a structured game. And even if you do to some degree, it certainly doesn't help your cause uh, because you can really form some really poor habits that Indeed. do not translate into the pro game. And it's about deconstructing the player and then building back you know, taking away those habits still at a young age and try to build those habits back up. Was William in that circumstance as well when you saw him for his first year? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty common theme coming from junior. Um, and, you know, I can't remember the scout that I spoke to, uh, but you're talking, you know, a point a game player coming out of, of the queue and you know, it was an interesting comment and the name will come to me. It was an NHL scout. I'm sure it was a director at pro scouting, maybe in Buffalo at the time and said, you know, with, with players, if you're a role player in major junior, it's very difficult to come and be a role player in the national hockey league. We're going to take someone with a higher ceiling with more talent and turn a scorer from junior into a checker if that's what their trajectory is as a player. And that sort of resonated with me. And so, you know, seeing him come in and, you know, his numbers coming out of major junior, he's a point of game guy. And I think in his first year in Rochester, he was around a 30 point player in the American league, you know, on 13 goals and, and the following season, um, or I guess that was year two, he was sort of 20 points coming in and it was trying to figure out, he brought that raw, aggression that that disruptive behavior in terms of how he created offense and and for me I knew that that was great but I know that when you get to the National Hockey League you can get dissected pretty quickly um, if everything you're doing is based on motor and ambition if that makes sense and so you know really it was trying to take all of those positive attributes of aggressiveness you know, a powerful, strong skater. And you see that now he's very physical, likes to initiate contact. Um, but recognizing, you know, can you be a disruptor, close space and create turnovers? Can you have loose puck acquisition skills that allow you to make a next play rather than just relying on sort of physical uh, aggression and dominance? And, and you saw that sort of rambunctiousness early in the American League. And you don't want to take that away. You'd always rather you know, the old saying goes, you'd rather dial someone down a little bit than have to beg them to get up all the time. And you never had that issue with him. He was always wired to go. And I think it was just trying to create a little bit of method to his madness, if that makes sense. What about in terms of team structure? 
Was he more of like a individual chaotic player, or did you find that he was always able to calibrate with his teammates and, and use them successfully? Because the one of my favorite things about most traditional power forwards, as you know, is they draw attention to them. They suck in the defense. They give space through their contact. Was that something he was capable of doing? Yeah, because he'd do such a good job of pushing people back, and there's that sort of that wake or that fallout that comes from that aggressive approach. And, um you know, everything that he did was was hard, but not unlike many players coming at a major junior, you know, he'd do something hard to create a loose puck. And one of the things that, that we would work on a lot is how do we extend possession? Because, you know, early on, a player will expose a puck. So you'll get a player at a major junior that'll come in, you know, they'll do a good job of pursuit. They'll get to a loose puck, but then it's on their stick, off their stick, because they expose it or they have sort of junior habits that they get away with you get a 26 year old defenseman that's, that's got, you know, 200 or 300 games of pro in the American league. And it humbles you very quickly because all of that hard works out the window when you made the vital mistake of exposing something that ended all your hard work. So it was really starting to instill some of those pro habits that, that, you know, if, if I've done such a good job to get to a puck, for instance, you know, let's make sure there's something positive that comes out of it. From a shooting perspective, it was just, you know, rather than be a volume shooter, it's, it's, you know, method to our madness. How can we improve the condition of the puck, you know, improve the condition of a shot attempt? How much is it the helping the player recognize when you're first on the forecheck, especially if you're quick and you're aggressive in there, that your teammates have to catch up to the play? They're not always like there is another layer coming behind you and you have to afford them the time to get there. You can't yeah. just get the puck and turn and look because they're not – the plate for them hasn't developed yet. So there is going to be a second, two seconds, maybe three for everything to to come into place. And how long does it take for them to figure that out? Like, hey, look, yes, things happen fast, but sometimes they don't happen as fast as you think they do. 100%. And, you know, he's really found his way as a disruptor. I think when we watch him in the playoffs and you watch how he's found his niche and the importance to, you know, the way he plays for, for Vegas, um, it, it, it's at that rambunctious style really morphs well into a bottom six role at the National Hockey League level simply because, you know, you're, you're allowing – your speed and your rambunctiousness to create fallout. And, and, you know, at the time I can I remember thinking that, you know, we weren't super deep in Buffalo and, but uh, you know, what I do appreciate about the approach at that point was let's try to expedite, you know, everything we can build in this player um, because I believe he was a first round pick to St. Louis. Second. Second, early, early yeah. second. Yeah. And, and it kind was, you know, let's yeah. try to develop that versus allow him to become just, you know, a blunt object, if that makes sense. And so that was really, they might've been overpatient. I can remember thinking, you know, he can serve a depth role at the NHL level, but I know that, that what we were trying to do was really um, build him to be as much as he could be um, so that maybe that transferable skill set was just a little bit more valuable when he got to the next level. Pat, I want to thank you once again for coming on the show. Really appreciate the insight and look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks, guys. That's Pat Malloy. We're going to take a short break. Brad and I will be back right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat 
a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrated series of best business practices, we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. We're happy to bring in to the show once again Mike McMahon from the College Hockey News. The topic this week, and I really wanted to get into it, and we've dabbled in it you know, when we've had you on the show in the past, but this one's really dedicated to the NCAA hockey portal. And at this point, as we're recording today, as I look through the spreadsheet, there has been 283 players who have entered the portal. Well, there's only approximately 1,400 players in Div 1 hockey of the, amongst the 60 teams. So you're looking at 20% of the players in Div 1 hockey have gone into the portal. Like just to you know to put that in perspective, that's like every NHL team having five unrestricted free agents every year going yeah. into the portal. Like, but like, and that's we're more used to that, obviously in the NC in in the NHL. But NCAA hockey, yes, this is the third year of the portal, but I don't think anybody knows what the impact of player development is going to be on the college players because of the portal and players changing from one system to another, to one team, to another. And these may not all be high end players, but they're the ones that end up filling the AHL rosters and become in some cases, NHL role players. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. There's a couple of things at play here with this. I think, I think you've got, um, you've got the fact that 
not all those players, this is the thing that not enough people talk about, not all those players are going to find a home. They're in the transfer portal because they intend to transfer, but what happens if they don't find a home? Like, not all of those players are going to get to go somewhere else, right? Right. So that's that's the first part of it. The second part of it is, I, I think this number, this overall number, will come down a little bit in two years. And the reason for that is, is the NCAA basically granted anyone who played during the 1920 or 2021 season got a fifth year of eligibility because right. some teams were shut down for COVID and COVID they, even in the 2021 2020-21 season they didn't really have a full year so uh, when that goes away I, I think the number will co- will start to, to calm down a little bit right now there's of those 283 players I think 115 of them are seniors looking to use a fifth year so I, I have to assume that at some point when that comes out of the equation in two years, you will start to see that number drop a little bit. They may you might, never know. Might cut you never know. in, you know, might cut to, you know, cut 40% out because the seniors are no longer there. Yeah. Yeah. In that respect, the, the danger for the seniors is they can't go back to the USHL and they can't go yeah. to junior because they're all, they're age restricted. So there's, you know, there's no place for them to go in, you know, from a junior hockey standpoint. Now you could see a freshman or a sophomore, maybe there's a situation where they could roll back into a USHL team Mm -hmm. or a Canadian junior A team and maintain their eligibility while they're still hunting for a team. That's possible. But once you hit a certain age point, that's where it becomes really dangerous. Like if you're 21 or older, you better have a great reason to go into the portal. I mean, it better be great because otherwise yeah. you are, that's, that's a high level of risk from my perspective. Uh, I, I think with the seniors, they're looking at it. A, a few that I've spoken to have said, you know, I, I can go play in the East coast league or I can try to do another year of college hockey. So if they don't get an offer, they've already been in school for four years. They're trying to do a fifth year. They're already going to get their degree. If they don't get an offer, they like in the portal. They'll just go right over to uh, to the East Coast League or, or sign in Europe or wherever they're going to go. Yeah. Uh, that's why I think a lot of times with the younger players, not even the younger players, but the the players who, like you said, are over twenty one years old, but maybe they're not seniors. Like that kind of that older sophomore and junior player, yeah, uh, junior, junior class player that can't go back to juniors but hasn't gotten their degree yet. Personally speaking, I think a lot of those players that into the portal already know where they're going before they get there you know they've through through their advisor through whoever they they know okay if i enter i'm gonna have these four teams interested in me i'm gonna be able to go somewhere or if they already know where they're going before they i mean there's been some players i mean they're not even trying to hide it there's been some players i'm not even joking who you know you you see their name post on the portal at 8 a.m on a tuesday and by 11.30, they're announcing on Twitter where they're committing and it's like come on like this clearly this was predetermined sure of course (laughs) You know, and that's the what I'm interested in is not only obviously the movement and the number of players, which is staggering, but then how it's going to affect player development. Like, and yeah. and then you could argue, is that any different than players being traded in the CHL from like one team to another? Yeah. And we've seen players traded three times, they played in three different teams in a four year period. Uh, which I think is ridiculous, but that's a whole nother argument. Um, to me, I'm just I'm looking at you know from a multiple different situations. Is 
you know, what happens with like, does that enhance your player development? Does it hurt your player development? Every situation is its own little ecosystem in, inside of that. And when does that, when does this settle down? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, and that's, I think from a player development standpoint, you have the players moving team to team. That's certainly something to look at. The other thing is, is how many players are not going to have an opportunity specifically because of the portal in the fifth year uh, that's come up a lot this year I, i've talked to a couple of, of agents advisors who have players who were committed to go to a school as a freshman next year they're playing junior hockey this year and they get a phone call in february or march from a coach that goes you know what our administration's really going to put the heat on us here we got to win right away i'm not going to bring in as many freshmen i'm sorry i'm going to go to the portal and grab some experienced fifth year guys instead so now where does that kid go the kid who right. loses his spot, you know, a month before play another year junior. In, in some, but what about what? In some cases, if you're an O two or an O one or an O two this year and you can't, right. then what is he? You know, right. so, so the O ones last year and the O twos this year. There's a lot of kids I think that were committed to a school, thought they were going in next year as a freshman, and found out in February or March. Hey, from the from the coach, hey, I got to go in a different direction. You we're not we're not going to bring you in. And you got a flood of kids that are now all scrambling trying to get spots. At the well, last and I think that's ridiculous from a school. Like I get it. Like the coach is being pressured, but from an administration standpoint, if you've saw, if you've committed to a team, you committed to a university and they mm-hmm. back out on you by no fault of your own. I think you're like, I think that opens up a can of worms in terms of lawsuits where, wait a minute, you put me in this position. Yeah. Like, how can you like, you can't do that. You like because they comply. They they scream foul when teams decommit. When players decommit, yeah. right? And they scream and bloody murder. But then you do go and do that to a player. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. And, you and can't have it both ways. Right? I know, but it's, it's and it's become a two way street where schools will decommit kids too. And, and I think it's been exasperated a bit by the portal because you got all, especially with the fifth year guys, you got all these fifth year guys that are that are available that weren't available before and you get teams looking at it going, well, do I bring in a freshman who might not play a lot next year and won't impact my team? Or do I go and grab a fifth year guy who I can plug in right away? And again, that will, will lessen once the, the fifth year goes away in a couple of years, but for, for this off season and for next off season, it's still going to be a, a prominent story with all those guys going into the portal. There's no question. Yeah, no, it's certainly interesting. Like if I'm, if I'm a player who's going in for that fifth year, I'm, trying to find my team as soon as possible. And I would want it like in, in writing that, because what you're trying to do is if you're going to go for the extra year, you're doing your grad school. So you want to, you want to squeeze as many classes you can in the summer before you start, then you take them during, and then you, you have, then you would say, I want classes in the following summer. So what Mm. you're really doing is squeezing in four semesters in one year. Right. And that means you can get your grad study. You really could, if you really were pushing it, you can get your stuff, your, your master's done in that time frame, and they pay for it. Right. Absolutely. In that respect. I think that's why a lot of guys are doing it, especially the guys that are looking at it going, you know what? I'm not, I'm not, and some guys are just smart enough to know like the dreams, the NHL, but if I'm not an NHL player and I'm going to play a couple of years in the coast, I can do that after I get my grad degree. And then when I'm done playing, I'm 26 years old and I got a graduate degree. Like you can't exactly hundred percent, Mike. Uh, thanks for coming on the show once again. Really appreciate the insight and look talk. Look forward to talking to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Every play, 
every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting. Through an integrated series of best business practices, they design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business. So in this segment, we're going to chat about the Minnesota Wild Prospects. Let's focus right back onto the draft from last year when they they had two picks in the first round and kind of get an overview of what's happened with those players, you know, since last June um, in that respect. So let's talk about Liam Ogram right off the top, uh, you know, the 19th overall pick for, for Minnesota. And, and thoughts on, you know, obviously, you know, we had co- a lot of conversations about him as a potential power forward for Minnesota and how he really obviously fit the mandate of what they're looking for in Minnesota. Thoughts on what you saw, you know, him in Durgarden this year, and then he got obviously his time at the World Juniors as well. Yeah, so uh, I I did get to see him a couple times. One of my uh, a close friends of my close friend of mine and uh, a former colleague works for your Garden, so uh, the qualification round meant a lot to, to get to evaluate it and see it. Um, so Ogren. Ogren's a pretty interesting prospect. Uh, last season, the way I described him was that he's a versatile Swiss Army knife uh, f- finesse forward who could develop into a hybrid power forward if, if uh, given the right circumstances, essentially, right? Right area to develop. What I've seen from him this season would suggest that he's not that, 
So I probably need to call myself out and stop using hybrid power forward terms as often as I do because it's somewhat wishful thinking, I think. Like Edward Chalet, I, I've talked about how, oh, if he can develop into a hybrid power forward, he can be something that he isn't. Well, is, you know, it doesn't happen is that it, often. Is it environment, though? Like, does, it, does the, the environment he's playing in and the style elite styles inside that league impact how he has to perform? And it, But if he goes to an NHL ice surface – you know, with a different style, does that become more, does that part of his game become more pronounced and that more of that hybrid power forward style? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, Svenskin, definitely larger ice surface, definitely more room to maneuver. It doesn't have to be as physical. It doesn't have to try to carve through contact. The, the, the real question mark with him when it comes to determining what he's going to be has to do with his skating posture. So one of the things that was um, concerning last season was that although he projected to be an NHL caliber skater, or at least an average grade, um, the upper body uh, mechanics weren't there despite him being physically developed. So he was from a physical development perspective, he was somewhat similar um, to Colby Barlow this season. Right. They're both just, just developed big kids, yeah. right? Big kids developed, filled out, ready to go. So um, I was hoping that what would happen is he'd be able to, uh, with another offseason of training, um, activate his core more often, maintain a more upright posture. Because a more upright posture means that when he's in transition carrying the puck, it gives him a better sense of how he can sidestep, use his agility, and handle the puck simultaneously. That hasn't materialized. So what's happening is when he's off the rush, he's trying to beat guys outside with, wide with his speed. And if he can't, then he's relying more on the shot quality from distance instead of trying to go from outside back to inside. So theoretically, there is an opportunity as long as he can develop the posture over time, but he did not do it this season. So um, that means that right now he's still much more of a finesse-oriented shooter. And that's not a bad thing. He's a heck of a shooter. His footwork from distance is phenomenal. His catch release is excellent. Uh, there's still a lot to like with his shooting upside. And uh, I've seen some really good 200-foot moments from him, especially at the qualification playoffs, uh, where he made some excellent defensive stops, got the puck moved in transition. He had one excellent – his best goal was off the forecheck, where he intercepted uh, uh, an exit pass and then in one motion showed his footwork and, uh, and um, shot far side. And, uh, and buried at top shelf. It was a phenomenal goal. So there, there's still a lot to like with this prospect. Uh, I still think he projects to be a middle six forward. And, uh, but he's not going to God, be... that term bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, you know, th this is the thing, right? Like, um, it's really hard to describe a player in terms of their functionality at the NHL level without being able to determine what the roster will look like when he joins it, right? Because you could theoretically say, okay, he might be a complimentary top six forward, right? But you could also say probably more definitively, okay, he's going to be a top nine energy scoring winner, right? Or you, it's completely dependent on team chemistry. It's totally dependent on who's in the system and where where uh, uh, that player is comfortable within that system. So it's it's very hard to really determine that. I'll, do you, want, you can call me out. I'll say it a different way. I think he is a 40 to 45 point shooting scorer who, who gets you 20, 25 goals and does some damage for you on the power play. That's basically the way I determine Ogun right now. However, I was hoping he would show more versatility than he has this past season. He's more flash and dash without as much of a cycle inside driven game that I was hoping to see because of the issues we've discussed on the scale. 
Yeah. With uh, about four minutes left, let's talk about Danilia Yurov. Um, unfortunately, we only get to see him on film because, you know, Russia is not able to go uh, into international tournaments. So, you know, both you and I have watched a lot of film on him this year. Thoughts on, you know, what what you see from him specifically? Yeah, Danila. So Danila is a very interesting prospect in the sense that I really thought he was going to be a top 10 player at the beginning portion of the season. I felt he didn't have the year I expected. He was very, relatively flat. Um, I don't think he met my expectations. That said, uh, one thing that fits Minnesota's prospects in general, this applies to everybody we're talking about today, Carson Lambos, Jesper Wallstead, Danila Yurov, and, and Ogren, who we just discussed, is I really think they all play. That That's one real strength of Minnesota's system is the floors are relatively high when you look at the top five, six players in each, in their system relative to other systems. Right. So Danila Yurov, uh, despite being Russian, obviously there's more risk factor that you take a Russian uh, even without the situation that's occurring, right? Now, there's always more risk just because in terms of adapting to North America. But in terms of on-ice risk, I feel like Yurov has done an exceptional job this season. He has progressed better than Ogren has. So one thing with Yurov, he was playing the KHL level last season. He was too weak for the league. Right? muscled off the puck too easily, didn't have uh, the, the the toolkit at the time necessary to be able to, to really cut through and explode past defensemen. Now, now he does. The skating base, the strength, the frame, the integrity, it's all up another level. He's extremely dangerous now in transition with his playmaking. Uh, and unlike Ogren, who I thought would be the developed power forward over time, it's Danilo Yurov who's showing much more of a polished inside driven game that where he uses his frame and his puck protection skill set. Also, unlike Liam Ogren, he's a better skater who with actual proper posture. What that means is he can actually handle the puck while sidestepping. He can be more agile. He can work and operate on planes that Ogren's uncomfortable on. Ogren's more north-south, where Danilo Yurov can be much more east-west, much more versatile when it comes to multi-directional changes. So it gives him a lot more options in terms of being a primary playmaker, where Ogren's the primary shooter. Uh, Yurov projects to be, I think, a top six forward. Uh, I think right now, if I, more, he, he could be a first-line forward. I think, I think the safer bet's a second-line uh, playmaking winger, but a really, really useful one. I've really enjoyed his development track. I think uh, Minnesota's probably extremely happy with where Yurov looks. Um, that said, not enough ice time yet. He's in a, he's in an excellent team in Stanley's system. Didn't get the ice team that you would typically want from a developing first round pick. Yeah, it's interesting between the two players, and we you have to always rem- we'll both have to remember that they're both 19 years of age, and there's a big, massive development spike between that 18 to 22 years of age. You know, by the time they get through their European league play, then they come into North America, and then there is you know the opportunity there from that standpoint to play in the American Hockey League, how they adjust to the American Hockey League, and then come in the NHL. And that's one of the advantages for an organization like Minnesota in that respect is that they don't have to rush. There's no reason to rush those guys, and they won't. So we're more likely to see a draft plus four out of both these players before they really hit the NHL at full stride. Like, I like for them not to come over until they're 20 which is going to be the case and then play at least a year, maybe a year and a half in the American league so that they get fully adjusted into that. Just because their first round pick doesn't mean they should all play as a 20 year old. I always find that kind of like silly and ridiculous from, from that standpoint. So um, overall, I'm really intrigued by what Minnesota is doing. I know they're going to need these players a little bit probably sooner than they, you know, 
than he would like only because of, you know, their cap situation and some issues in regards to that. So we'll see how that sort of situation all plays out from that standpoint. So, but Brad and I are going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio. When we come back, we're going to continue to talk about the Minnesota wild, as well as we'll get into some American league talk with Patrick Williams. We'll do uh, a few segments of that. And as well, we'll talk to Mark Cronowit uh, on game changer segment about the world hockey challenge. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, Every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hour 2 and brought to you by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's new, newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're continuing to discuss the Minnesota Wild Prospects Right off the hop, we'll talk about the goalie, just for you, because I know you love it, is Jesper Wallstadt and thoughts about his continued develop. So now, you know, he's 20 years old. Uh, he's going to be 21 in November. And here's the opportunity now, like, for him to take that n- next step. What I was really curious is to get your thoughts on is how he transitioned into the American Hockey League this year. Because sometimes that is a big it's big. Sometimes it's bigger for the goaltenders than it is for the forwards in the D, especially coming out of the Swedish Elite League. So, thoughts on how he's made that transition for the Minnesota Wild? 
Yeah, to your point, the goalie coming from young goalie coming from the SHL to the AHL, or young Russian goalie, or young Finnish goalie, you name it. It's that's arguably the the hardest adaptability to uh, to see is going from any pro league that isn't the AHL and bigger ice to the AHL. Um, you know, Ilya Samsonov, perfect example of a goalie who. A high pedigree, just like Wallstep, first round pick. He was playing the KHL. He's playing well. He comes over the AHL. He was he was burned in his first year. He had a real difficulty adjusting the AHL in his first year. Uh, to contrast that, Jesper Wallstep has had a much more functional, uh, more efficient curve here than Samsonov at the same age. Um, the thing with Jesper Wallstep is that it's not unexpected. Right. Uh, there's a reason he's a first round pick. There's a reason he's considered a pretty special goalie. And that's because he's an elite tracker, uh, elite thinker, understands how to predict where shots are going to come from in advance, understands how to deal with odd man reads, understands the, the cycling plays, low, low to high plays from low to goal line in terms of low to high danger opportunities. He's he's very instinctual. Uh in terms of being able to track and read those types of situations. So for the most part, um, that is, that is translated to the AHL. The, for me, the big thing with this goalie, and it's always been the concern was the skating base relative to the fact he's a, he's a bigger framed kid. Um, sometimes he would go off balance. Sometimes he wouldn't be able to get on his edge correctly. And that would diminish his ability to laterally push off. Um, the other aspect, which is more concerning and it's still concerning is rate of recovery. Meaning if he makes an initial save where he already has to extend coming back into himself and then extending again. So when you look at like Devin Levi and Dustin Wolf, for instance, one they're of the things they do the best is their rate of they're, recovery. They're lightning. Yeah. They're lightning. That's right. So they're lightning in a bottle. They can just immediately recover and explode again, recover and explode again. Right. And that that's, it allows them to make those, the, the fancy term I use, their micro adjustments more, more uh, readily available when plays around the breakdown. Right. Jesper Wallstead doesn't operate that way. Uh, that's why I compared him in the black book to Jeremy Swayman. Because Jeremy Swayman has trouble with his skating base at times laterally exploding across to take away the high danger option. He needs the defense to have structure in place, and obviously Boston most certainly did. Um, so it, it, it played to his advantage. Um, so Wallstead is is one of those, one of those goalies who he's not going to beat himself very often. He will get the the low to mid danger shots at an incredibly consistent rate. But he does need a, a player like theoretically Carson Lambos, who can clear out that net front to make sure right. that he doesn't have to rely on his rate of recovery. So that that's what I've seen this season is improvements within the skating base, especially when he's integrating from his post, then exploding off his post, trying to get set at the top of the crease and take away the shot. He's been much better at that from his initial year. Uh, and the other aspect that I have found uh, improved is just in his functional lateral explosives in general. You can tell he's put work in the gym. You can tell he's stronger. And it really has made a difference in terms of getting set at the uh, uh, in the time frame necessary. That said, rate of recovery has still been an issue. I do expect it to continue to be the issue as he uh, heads into the NHL, which is not – I don't think he's ready yet. Based off this year, I would still give him another year in the AHL. We've seen it before. I don't know why teams are starting to push goalies – quicker than they are they like spencer knight situation should be a warning sign i think yeah you got to be very careful with how quickly you're willing to uh push these remarkably talented goals just be, so just, just because him and carter hart and some others have done it doesn't make yeah, that doesn't, the, mean, I, doesn't make yeah. it's an ideal strategy at all yeah 
right? I mean, it, yeah. you, you're gonna there's gonna be some level of diminishing returns when you do that. Like you're sacrificing speed for overall output, and I think just think the the extra year in the grand scheme of things is going to be irrelevant. So, and look, and, and Walstead didn't play that many games. I think he only played 30, 30 some odd games. If I remember correctly off the top of my head and then played obviously some playoff games as well, a couple of playoff games as well. That's not a lot of games. So yeah, he's playing the worlds now too, but right. uh, yeah, not, not a huge sample, uh, not like a 50, 60 game year. Right. Like and that's what I'm really looking now. to see out. I want to see him play 50 plus games as a starter next year in Iowa mm-hmm. and then see what you have after that and then make a better judgment call and have them go on a bit of like, and hopefully, you know, cross your fingers, you know, Iowa goes on a bit of a run. I think that's certainly helpful too, as well. Um, you mentioned Carson Lambeau, so we should probably talk about, you know, him as well as a, as a, a 20 year old young defenseman. Look, um, you know, he's on a stack team in Winnipeg. Um, you know, he's a captain of the team, a long playoff run. Uh, they're going against uh, Seattle for the championship, the WHL championship thoughts on him recovering to get enough games in because he missed that entire year. Once again, COVID was brutal to a lot of players. And I think Carson Lambos, it really, you know, just not didn't hurt his development. It just put it in a pause that you just can't replicate those games. So thoughts on what he's done this season to help, you know, make mitigate and make up for some of that time loss. Yeah. It, you know, Carson Lambos for me falls into the same camp as Justin sort of, and I know some of you are like, huh, what's the, how, what is the relationship there? What's the correlation? This is the thing. Justin sort of was expected to be a top two round pick as his initial draft season commenced. And then he fell short of that. And he had a relatively average year relative to expectation, right? Carson Lambos falls in that category. Carson Lambos was expected to be a bonafide first round pick, right? First round talent, first round pick. Go At the beginning of the year, most people thought top 10, 15. Didn't have the year. He had to play in U20 Saria. Didn't look comfortable. Came back at the end. Had a, had a major situation. I believe it was hard. Uh, and, and it was one of those circumstances where he dropped as a result of that. Yeah. Didn't drop as much as Justin sort of just sort of ended up a third round pick to Florida. I think yeah. Lambos ended up right at the back end there of the first. Right. Yeah. So, um, this is the thing I feel like in a redraft, Justin sort of probably goes way, way higher than where he was selected. But Lambos, I think actually goes higher too, not as much as sort of, but still higher. Um, Lambos has had for me a good year from what I've seen. I, again, I, uh, just a fair warning to our listeners. I, you know, I have to scout the 2023 crop way more than I get an opportunity to evaluate, uh, what's already been drafted. So I haven't seen Lambos nearly the degree, um, that I have with like, say David Rybacker, for instance. So take what I'm saying here uh, uh not with a grain of salt because i've seen lambos play over 20 games in total but not at the same level as if i was talking about a 22 3 draft eligible so um with lambos this is the thing in his draft year he looked more like an insulating shut down vanilla defenseman right that the offense wasn't really there when we talked to brad bombardier brad was talking about molding him to make sure that he could he could be that clean efficient um, stopping option off the rush, shut down the rush, get the clean exit, worry about the rest later, right? That was kind of the, the idea yeah. behind how to mold Lambos. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised with his offensive um, ability this season. I feel he's more comfortable. He's been activating better. He's been anticipating play 
uh, just outside the blue line clicker so he can reload through the neutral zone and get everything uh, activated for his team. So that, that's been a huge adjustment from what I've seen relative from his initial season to now. Um, the other aspect is he's more comfortable handling the puck. Uh, and is initially a very vanilla, like just he would use his speed, use his frame to hold and then find that option, that short area option or find that stretch pass if he could find it. But now he's starting to, to, to show that he can carve through tra traffic with his handling. He looks far more, far more comfortable. And um, I know it hasn't really showed on the score sheet because I'm pretty sure his production is relatively similar to last season's. But yes, yeah. um, in terms of the comfort, in terms of the, the confidence, it, it certainly looks different might say the same, it might read the same, but it doesn't look the same when you're watching it. That's a good sign. So I, I think Lambos is exactly what Minnesota needs. They need, because you look at Jesper Wallstead coming in that system now, and Gustafson, they need that net front clear. They need a defensive uh, presence that's tenacious. Lambos brings those qualities. So another, I think, good pick by Minnesota. We're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned right after this. Every play, every stat, Every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio brought to you by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're speaking with Mark Cronovit, Executive Director of Silent Ice, about some interesting topics this week. Mark, I want to specifically ask you about the 15U World Selects, 32 teams, 14 countries. 
from your perspective and each league say in the CHL is a little bit different in terms of how they draft and what ages they draft at, but let's talk about that world select tournament and what the value you find in that tournament in terms of identifying players, just so you can see where they are in their developmental curve, because at the age of 14, predicting a player at that age you might as well like put a blindfold on and throw darts at a dartboard, to be honest, to tell them what they're going to be when they're 18 or 19. There is some players who are exceptional, but the vast majority you can miss like a player like Braden point, who was not only missed in the WHL, he was missed at the NHL draft. And you know, he had no business being drafted that low as just as a perfect example of that. Yeah. I remember seeing Braden when he was 15 years old at the max tournament. I think he was like five foot three. Real small yeah. guy, but everybody obviously had this amazing talent for the game. And, uh, you know, his hockey IQ is just, you know, it's a, just at a different level. But, you know, the 15U World Selects Invitational is kind of a unique independent event. Uh, I know that uh, it's not sanctioned by IHF, but it was really kind of neat. Uh, we pr- took a Junior Prospects Hockey League select team. We took uh, took some of our best athletes down there to compete. And, you know, getting an opportunity to play against the Finns was kind of unique. You know, you know that on that team, it's kind of their feeder system. They'll go into the U17, U18, and obviously into the U20 programs. And we got a chance to play against Velo, Kakanen, and Oliver Torrey and these guys. And these guys are phenomenal players. And, you know, I think to that point where you have these really super elites, you kind of, they do start to separate themselves, even at that level where you're like, wow, you know, that guy has all those tools. Um, you know, and then I look at, you know, the strength of the American group. I was absolutely blown away by the CCM selects team. Uh, Alex McLean, uh, actually a kid who's actually from Ontario, played in the Pittsburgh elite system. Uh, you know, he broke the record for most goals ever scored there. And, you know, it was kind of surprising though. If I look at the scouts that were there looking at the jackets as we're kind of going around, we played six games when we were down there. Um, not a lot of CHL scouts, definitely some USHL. There was some college and prep schools that were there. But, uh, you know, not as heavily scouted as, as I would thought. And at the same time, you know, in Alberta, there's the Alberta Cup that's going. And, you know, I'd say there's probably 60 to 80 scouts there. But if I were looking at the high-end prospects, the, you know, it was really focused in Nashville, you know, to bring in those amount of kids. Our, our team got a chance to play the team from Russia, from Moscow, you know, team, which is kind of unique. Uh, people were surprised that they were allowed to uh, got visas to come in. Uh, but again, you know, you start to see the competition level and our guys got an opportunity to kind of say, you know, where do we sit? And that game was an absolute war. It was uh, really impressive. You know, you had fans coming over from the other side and, you know, the level of play was extremely high. And those players are all players that are now moving towards, for example, the WHL prospects draft, which is actually happening today as we're taping this, Shane. And, you know, a lot of those players that we had on our team will probably be selected today. Uh, players from different leagues. So the US, uh, the WHL US priority draft was yesterday. And I know that Seattle took a guy that uh, Bill LaFord saw down at the U15 World Select and invitational kid out of Shattuck, St. Mary's. So, you know, and, uh, you know, you were talking about the predictors though, Shane, and, you know, pretty easy to say that Connor Bedard was going to be the first pick in the WHL prospects draft. And, you know, right now, obviously he's number one, but uh, what what's going on in the WHL this year? We've got 13 players that are ranked in the first round here and not quite sure why it's such an anomaly year. Uh, and I was kind of going through the list and every one of those players was drafted in the first round of the WHL prospects draft, except for two, Nico Mayatovic, who is a sixth round pick. Somehow he's passed, you know, essentially five rounds of guys, not only in his own league, but uh, other leagues to to move into those higher, you know, top 40 type rankings. And uh, the other one's Grayson Sachin. Uh, who kind of came out of the U.S. prospects draft and Red Deer drafted him in Seattle, trained him, 
So again, another guy that's in that top 40 zone. Yeah, I'm not sure what's happening there, Shane, if it was a development year or is this an anomaly, but you know, all those kids, Benson, Lind, uh, Dragon Civic, these guys, it's just a phenomenal year coming out of the West this year for the NHL process draft. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I do follow those trends in terms of these certain years. And it's certainly, you know, there are times where it's cyclical, where you just happen to have a crop and environment is a big factor. So where these players played and, you know, great, really good promising players push other promising players. Like you really need to have external pressure along with your own internal, even at a young age, you know that. And in this case, you just had a bunch of kids in the same age group that just happened to come up and you'd have to really go back and do some, you know, greater level of, of research to find out whether there were some environmental indicators that helped that move that along, or it just happened to be a great year and you leave it at that. But I don't like leaving it at that. I always like to find out why. So uh, I'd be interested uh, if I have some spare time is to go back and take a peek at that. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe it's Connor Bedard factor. Maybe you, know, you talk about, you know, like it's, you know, you, you see the level of play that, he, you know, he brought to the league this year. And if you look through all the players that are coming through there, like the 04s with Danielson and Cohen Zemer, you know, had that little bit extra to development, kind of like Schaefer did last year, where he kind of essentially drafted as an 18 year old and, you know, just a really strong year coming out of the West. And, you know, for when you're talking about early indicators and and where does it kind of shift, I still think it's still development-based, Shane, because there's a group of players that aren't in that list that were yes. drafted in the – that aren't there. And, uh, you know, so really what does it come down to is, you know, how how do these teams are, uh, go through that development path to help them get to that next level? And I agree, maybe it's not always a good indicator, but this year it's it's pretty – they did a pretty good job drafting by the looks of it in the Western League uh, three years ago. So, Well, you know, I'm also interested in, you know – the developmental models, particularly not necessarily skill-based, but attribute-based. How do you help them along in terms of increasing and making themselves better in terms of their mental and emotional attributes? Like, you know, resilience, like how to handle failure. Because a lot of these kids don't handle, don't go through a lot of failure in their lives. Most of them come from reasonably affluent parents. um, And, you know, in today's age of technology, technology it's pretty easy we have a pretty easy life so when they don't face a lot of adversity you have to build skills you have to train them to be able to handle that because the older they get without those that's where you see those crashes happen where these top end players they just don't they just can't handle it when the talent pool compresses and it always does and then it compresses very quickly i i agree shane and uh i don't think drafts are predictor of guys are going to playing the NHL all the time. I, I still see players that come from, we've talked about this, come from all those different paths. And, you know, I guess if we're looking at this year's draft, maybe it's a guy like Kalen Lind, and you're talking about that intest, that fortitude side of it. You know, Brooks took out the Spruce Grove Saints out West here. I think they're probably going to win another national championship. I don't see a team being able to compete with them. And, you know, Lind's been, he's that guy for them right now. And I, I think that helps his draft status because, you know, he's been recognized as a highly skilled guy, but he's a winner. And he, he can compete in the tough games. And, you know, he he was one of those guys that, you know, in those long overtime games, he was out there competing every second, third shift. And, you know, I think that only helps players where guys will get a chance to see them. You have those opportunities. I think it also benefits teams. Like, you know, we've got all those players like Benson and we've got Mayatovic and Ratzlaff and these guys in Seattle. This Winnipeg-Seattle series is going to be an absolute war. But what a pleasure for for all the, the the scouts to get a chance to see these two phenomenal teams competing against each other. And 
essentially, you know, specifically in Seattle, you got a lot of guys that were, you know, guys who were in the NHL this year, like Gunther and Lambert and these guys. So, yeah, um, are playing pro hockey most of the year. So I, I think it's going to be a great year, great little end of stretch as we come into the draft. And uh, it's super exciting. And that's what I'm really interested to watch in terms of how specifically that series unfolds, because it's really this is where you start to understand the mental and emotional attributes of the players when it gets it's so harsh like there's just it's completely unforgiving in that respect and that gives me a better indicator of who because talent in many cases overrated it's really the emotional mental attributes will get you into the nhl faster than your skill set you'll get extra chances if you're highly skilled but you won't stay i mean if you look at you look at the indicators that always tends to be true. And the military um, research proves that out as well. Well, you know, and, and to that point, you know, look at the guys who raise a level. So game four, Kamloops, Seattle here in the Western Conference final. The show that Dylan Gunther put on was next world. Yeah, you know, He scored three goals, but the way he took the puck to the net, his determination. I looked at his, you know, I saw a clip of him on the bench. He was just absolutely fierce out there. He wasn't, there was no way that he was not going to make an impact on that game. And, you see that translate. I was last night. It was at the uh, the, the Oilers game against Vegas, and watching what uh, Evander Kane did, he basically took control of the game physically out there. You don't get to see it very good on TV, but you see a guy swooping around doing what he was doing. He was not going to be denied. And I think athletes show their character, and they have to be in these situations. It's a great benefit if you play on a winning club or a winning organization. We've talked about like London and the different groups, Quebec Ramparts. You know, these kids have a huge advantage because they get to play an extra month and they get all the good eyes on them. So super exciting time for hockey right now. Absolutely. Well, once again, Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it and look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks, Shane. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown on their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. 
Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Outside Edge Player Development for on and off ice training, featuring KPI based conditioning programs at outsideedge.ca. This is our regular segment with Patrick Williams around the AHL. Patrick, thanks for coming on the show again. Always appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me. Well, let's uh, get into the last four teams. Uh, in the American Hockey League in alphabetical order. Next up is the Toronto Marlies. Now, they're embroiled, you know, in, in the playoffs, but thoughts in terms of what you've seen from this franchise from the beginning of the season through the end and in terms of the stability, because it's it's interesting. They're the only American League franchise that really puts, like, probably twice as much, like, budget into the American League franchise in terms of personnel and then the amount of players that they have going into the playoffs as well. It's actually impressive. They, they, they just get an extra bus and everybody in the American League gets mad at them, which makes me laugh. So when I have conversations with Lawrence Gilman, he's just like, you know, that's yeah. our advantage. We have a big budget, so we're going to flex it. Yeah. It's always funny when you pull up to the rink, right. And you see the two mammoth Marley's buses parked back, you know, in the back there and you're thinking, well, yep, it's the Marlies. Uh, yeah, there's, they spare no expense. I mean, uh, they, they by far, I think have the largest development staff, you know, the, the secondary, you know, not secondary, but, you know, coaches that are kind of working along with the main uh, bench staff. And, um, you know, for the Marlies this year, it's been really kind of almost two seasons, right? Like the first four and a half months or so, they were on cruise, right? Like they got out at one point, they were up uh, 20 points on yeah. second place uh, in that North division. And then the, uh, the NHL trade deadline hit and uh, lost a lot of pieces off their roster directly uh, for the Leafs. Obviously the Leafs going on a, you know, you know, a real uh, push to, to do something in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, those players become expendable. Um, they struggled mightily down the stretch um you know had it not been for that lead they may have they may have been in more trouble they uh and they i think they were able to hit the reset button a little bit they got that nice two-week break between uh the end of the regular season and the first round um so they were able to kind of i think iron out some of the uh some of the problems that had plagued them you know for the better part of six weeks uh they got into that series with utica um split first two at home then they i think impressively they go on the road and uh, take both teams in Utica, one of the most difficult buildings in the league. To yeah. Um, so uh, now they get Rochester. Rochester's a, in some ways a similar team in the sense that when Rochester's on, they look great, and when they're not, um, they, uh, they 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 there's some young in, inexperience there. That yes, that, is inconsistent. Know, even, and then even by AHL standards, uh, they really stand out for their you know their youth and their. Um, their energy so yeah uh, so i think it's it's going to be an interesting test here in this series seeing uh 
um, you know, kind of a team that goes through a lot of ups and downs themselves. Um, and then I think if you if you if you you know pull out a little bit further, right? Like the bigger question becomes: What happens with the Leafs, right? Now, if the Leafs are done soon, Joseph Wall could come back um, in net for, for the Marlies. He's eligible. So that would certainly be a, a major boost to the lineup. And then if you pull back even further, you know, let's say there are management changes with the Leafs. Let's say Kyle Dubas goes somewhere else. That, I think, you know, he, he's been such an instrumental part in, in setting up that that structure with the Marlies. What happens with that? To his own tenure. Right. Yeah. So how would that long term maybe shift some of that picture around? Uh, so I think in the Marlies right now, the general state of things, it's uh, it's a state of flux. Right. Like and this is a it's a classic example of what happens with your parent team has a direct impact upon you, um, you know, both on and off the ice. Let's talk about uh, Tucson and the Roadrunners yeah. and. Thoughts about that because that's it's a very young team. Obviously, in Arizona, they're going through a massive rebuilding, and it's really for them open season in terms of just bringing as many young players as we possibly can, and let's like see who makes it through the gauntlet. Let, yeah. Let's funnel them through the gauntlet and see who makes it out, and then you know, and then we're going to like specifically target those players, and we're going to put a lot of money and resources and time into developing them. And that was something that I had talked to Bill Armstrong about the GM in, in Arizona about specifically, this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have such an influx of young players, but we just don't know which ones at the end of the day, when we squeeze them through the American league are going to come out the other side. One of the best parts I think for Arizona is 2016, you go back, they, they, they moved the affiliate to Tucson. Yes. Finally, after years and years, they were able to get their, their, their affiliate in their own backyard, um, really kind of do it their way. And it, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a ride, no question. Um, obviously, we all know the parent clubs had its, its, its challenges. Um, what I really like now about Tucson is they have John Ferguson. Yes. Uh, Jr. A steady, a steady hand. You know what? As steady as it gets. Yeah. And a guy that uh, obviously he's been a GM at the NHL level, but uh, kind of more related to this job. He was in Providence for about five years as their GM, ran one of the top operations in the entire American Hockey League. Um, so I like having steady is a very good word. And, you know, I was impressed uh, in March. They went out and they, uh, they were uh, on that playoff bubble to a certain extent. They went out, they got Stephen Camper, and maybe that's a, a move that would have gone under the radar for a lot of fans. But you know, that was a, a real that's... sign of uh, them trying to push that team into the playoffs. They did manage to get in. They, they took Coachella Valley, second overall team in the league in the regular season. They pushed them to an elimination game. Finally, they uh, you know they they lost, but you know I think they're slowly but surely we're starting to see some pieces come together in Tucson. Uh, that I think eventually, you know, can can trickle up to the NHL club. But I agree with you. It's you're going to put as many bodies into that system, and you know, and sort of see see what comes uh, uh, comes out, and, and how. Because you know, obviously, Arizona is never going to be a team that's going to throw around tons of money in free agency. They're going to have to build from within. Yeah, Tucson right. Is absolutely essential to that, and that's why I, I I found it really intriguing, and I think it went under the radar in terms of Bill Armstrong bringing in John Ferguson Jr. Yeah. Is I think like they kind of went, oh yeah, okay, former Leafs GM. That's the general consensus of what really that was the media kind of like what they were like in Canada, mm-hmm. 
And I was like, no, this is a really astute hire, right? Because yes. what they did in Pro- he did in Providence, but you know, understanding what type of organization they are, they have to build through the draft. They have to develop. You can't just that. It has to go to somebody who has that level of experience, who has succeeded and failed at the NHL level and the American League level, and understands how to avoid the landmines. And, and that's critical. Your word "steady hand," I think, is is the perfect description for John Ferguson Jr. He he's just you know you never see him get too high, too low. He's just very, very calm. You know, even when you speak with him, right? Like it's, he doesn't oversell his players. He doesn't undersell them. Like he's just, he's very matter of fact in the way he does things. And I think that's been a great, I agree, a great hire for that, for that whole operation there in Arizona, because um, there's really no other way for them to do it. Like we said, you know, they're not, they're not doing it. If, if they don't build from within, they're not going anywhere. Um, so Tucson is absolutely essential to that. Entire Arizona, Arizona's long-term success. I honestly, like when I look at their franchise, I think they just spend less money or almost very little money in NHL free agency and spend it in development in like a human, you know, human performance department. If you're going to like, you go spend an extra $2 million on a player. Why don't you spend a million dollars in your human performance hiring the best people you can find mm-hmm. and building the research and development department and hiring the best people you can find you want because two million dollars you could waste an extra two million dollars in free agency for no good reason sure. and not get the output like you get see, your bottom six player right, right. And, you know yeah. you could hire you, you could give him extra money because you got to get you got to pay him extra to come to arizona and like in the end it's not really worth it you know so for me i'm really intrigued to see what next steps are and the sooner that building get comes up, then it's just going to give them some more revenue to do those kind of things. So I'll be curious to see really what happens with that. So, but uh, Patrick and I are going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll come back. We'll continue to talk about the American Hockey League right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown on their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. 
Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back on Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Outside Edge, hockey player development for on and off ice training, featuring KPI-based conditioning programs at outsideedge.ca. We're continuing to talk about the American Hockey League with Patrick Williams. All right, let's finish up this league uh, before we get into, we'll talk about the Calder Finals in another week or two, um, see how it plays out. But uh, let's talk about Utica Comets in terms of, you know, New Jersey's another team that kind of bounced around a little bit with their farm team, and they really needed just to settle. You know, Albany, mm. Utica, like just like stay in a place in northern, like New York, and just stay there. And I think this has just become a really good spot for them. And, one, you know, as we talked about with Tucson, they have really steady – stable staff there. Dan McKinnon is the general manager there. Kevin Deneen is the head coach. Like these are veterans of the American hockey league, veterans of hockey. And, you know, nothing surprises them and they won't put up with any BS either. Right. But like there's high expectations of what we were asking you to do. We're going to bust our rear end to make sure that you guys have everything you possibly can need. Just don't fool around, like come to work and be a pro. Right. Well, so if you're not getting about, it from yeah. if you're not getting it from Dan, you're gonna definitely gonna get it from Kevin. Oh, you'll get it from Kevin for sure. Yeah. Like and if you're, you know, a young 20, 21 year old player and maybe you think you you know it all, you have all the answers. There's Kevin Deneen, played 19 years in the NHL, was a captain. Uh, you know he's gonna tell you the answers. Athlete, right. Yeah, and he's not he's not afraid to kind of tell you that uh, you in fact don't know anything. Uh <laughs> So he's very direct. Uh, is exactly who you expect him to be as a player, you know. And you know he's a player. He's somebody who's coached at the NHL level as a as a head coach and an assistant. Coached in the Olympics, um, won a Stanley Cup as an assistant. Uh, really, you know, his resume. To be quite honest, I'm surprised Kevin Deneen hasn't got an NHL job again at this point because I think he's done a fantastic job, really getting that whole um, operation in in for the Devils at the age of level in shape. It was, uh, it wasn't doing well when he came in and took over. Yeah. Um, in a really critical time too, right? Like they had a lot of, a lot of young prospects filtering into the system when, when he arrived. Right. So like guys that you really need to hit on, um, you, you brought him in as a steady hand, somebody that if those guys end up not paying it out, it's certainly not going to be because they weren't coached properly. Right. Um, so, uh, he's, you know, he's just a real, uh, I think, steady, again, steady presence for that team. Um, you know, and, and really, you know, the New Jersey Devils are, you know, I know they're having some success in the playoffs to some extent, but, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, they're still relying 
you know, on, on getting some of those players up from Utica into the lineup full time in New, New Jersey. And, if they're going to uh, take the next step, it's going to be it's it's going to be based on what hap- what has happened yep. and what is happening in the American League. If they're going to be a con- Stanley Cup contender. It's going to be based on the hard work of their staff in the American Hockey League and their player development staff. And that's what's going to push them over the top. Because if those players can play at the NHL level, if they can move them up just a rung, Mm -hmm. it makes all the difference in the world. Because then, you know, Tom doesn't have to go out into free agency. He doesn't have to make these trades because the push is coming below and it's a constant push. So, which is why they've invested a tremendous amount of resources and personnel in player development, human performance department, and the American Hockey League. And you're going to start to see that really push through. And teams are going to start taking notice and go, wait a minute, what's happening here? Well, and and I think the level of confidence and faith that they have really shows where you had uh, Shimon Emmett's come in, second overall pick, 18-year-old defenseman, coming from the European game, and they were comfortable putting him into that Utica environment. Um, both in terms of obviously the, the instruction that he would get on a day-to-day basis, also the, the the personnel, you know, as far as teammates, players, good leadership there, guys, and their, and their player cool. development department. You know, Eric Weinrich there, you know, Megan Duggan, yeah. who's their director of player development, along with you know Kevin Deneen, and you know, like it's a real collective effort there. And what, when I've talked to them, they, it, it's amazing to me that doesn't always happen with every organization. They're all on the same page. They people say they're on the same page, but when I talk to each of them individually, it's clear to me they're all on the same page. And you're not sending a guy like Nemitz there down there at that age, at, you know, at that that level of a, a pick, if you're not confident and comfortable with the environment he'll be in. And, and, that, and a lot of that goes to Kevin Deneen. And, you know, they have really good uh, veteran leadership there. You know, Ryan Schmelzer, the captain. Guys that you 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 know will, will – take that young guy under their wing and uh, kind of really bring him along nicely. And he's made great strides, you know, as a, as a young defenseman, uh, you know, his English has improved, like, you know, like he's right on track. So I think that just speaks to the environment they have there. We have about three minutes left. Let's talk about Wilkes-Barre and in terms of what you've seen there, because they have a really long history of like producing a lot of great players. A lot of executives have come out of Wilkes-Barre. A lot of coaches have come out of Wilkes-Barre. What did you see so far? What did you see in their season? Well, it's been an absolute factory through the years, you know, at, at like every level, like you said, player, you know, coaches, management. Um, right now, it's a, definitely in a state of transition, right? Like, you know, now you have a new management regime coming in, hedge stalls uh, gone. Uh, so there's, a, you know, it's a, right right now it's kind of a, you know, there's a lot of unknowns uh, with that group. And where is that going? Uh, you know, depending where you're taking this, uh, you know, management wise, who, who comes in, um, it, it definitely could be uh, some upheaval, right? And they, they are showing the signs of those years and years and years of Pittsburgh having to move picks and prospects uh, um, to make Stanley Cup runs, which is what you have to do, right? Nobody yeah. can question that. But, you know, over time, it does take a toll. It does eventually, um, you know, thin, thin the ranks considerably. And that's, that's kind of with a stage at uh, Pittsburgh slash Wilkes-Barre Strand are in right now, where you know you're you're not going to have to do a pretty concerted effort to to really restock um, you know the prospect uh, ranks and and where you go from there. Like you know how how much longer does it, what's Pittsburgh's window in terms of Crosby, Malkin, Latang, those guys? You know, well, sooner or later you got to you got to fill that. 
Hubbard again. Exactly. And, and that's really, it's going to, one, it's going to come down to drafting, but also they're yeah. going to have to really scour into college free agents, CHL free agents, European free agents, the really young ones. We're talking like 20 to yeah. 23 in that range and then bring those guys in. And because like you had said, like if you looked at the Pittsburgh Penguins drafting development record from 06 to 15, it was the best in the NHL. Yeah. They produced the mo- the highest percentage of players that they had drafted went played more than 200 games in the NHL. And then the crazy part was, and this is something we discussed before from 2011 to 2015, they had drafted 11 players in the first three rounds and all 11 had gone on to play 200 games. It's unheard yeah. of. It's never happened before. Like, sure. Never. Right. So there is a track record of that. And now it really, you know, depends on who's coming in and who's taking over those positions, which we don't know, but they know what they have to do. So we're going to sort of find out how that plays out. Cause you know, Wilkesbury is one of those teams where kind of like Hershey to me, it's just been, they, it's just been a longstanding tradition. I always, mm-hmm. I, I guess, cause I got, I got, stuck with it is I just always expected Wilkesbury to be good because there was a good decade, (laughs) a good 10 to 15 years where they always were good. They were always in the playoffs playoffs every year. They made the playoffs 16 years in a row, which in the AHL is absolutely unheard of. And and, and extremely difficult, obviously, just with the turnover you have. Uh, So it's a real credit to what they did. Uh, Obviously they have the blueprint in place. They just now have to, um, really start to replenish and restock what the you know what they've lost uh, through those trades through those those moves they've had to make. You know, and that's a difficult position for whoever's going to be the GM in Wilkes-Barre because you know they want to get players through to play in the NHL, but those players aren't going to be ready. So if you push them through, they're not going to make it. And then you're bringing you're trying to integrate all these free agents into there, like that's going to be. And there's not a lot of draft picks that are coming up, so because they traded a lot of them away, so you know. <laughs> it sort of reminds me of what happened with Vancouver in that respect too. After they went, you know, they went to the Stanley Cup final, there just wasn't really much in the coverage. So that's going to be a real challenge. So, but thanks, Patrick, for coming on the show. We always appreciate it. And uh, this has been another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, powered by Instat Hockey and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Fractal Consulting, and Outside Edge Development. You can listen to the show on your favorite podcast network or on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at HP Radio, HockeyProspectRadio.com. Thank you to all our guests, and we will see you at the rink.